Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. We are ready to begin. Uh, we're back again with Generation Engine. We're on a uh, still obviously with fire engineering, but we're on a little bit of a different recording format. And so we're actually going to be able to see each other while we speak right uh, from here on out. And you can watch us as well as listen to us like we've always done in the past. So we're going to start off like we always do uh, with introductions. Uh, my name is Todd Edwards. Did 31 years with Atlanta Fire Rescue. Uh, do a little, little bit of part-time here and there with another organization now. And then I mostly just am uh, fortunate and blessed to be able to teach uh, at different events, conferences, fire departments throughout the country. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. And I'm going to bring in, uh, I guess, uh, I don't know how this is going to look or work. So uh, I'll let Captain uh, Rowett introduce himself. Anthony Rowett. I'm a captain in Mobile, uh, Mobile Alabama. Uh, volunteered in northern New Jersey for three years before I moved down here and then been past few years traveling the country teaching with Todd and some other guys. Uh, so kind of in the same place he is on that as well while still working in Mobile. Awesome. And today, uh, if you're watching, you, you can actually see our guests. But as always, I like to I like the guests to always uh, introduce him or herself. So we'll let our guest introduce uh, himself today. Go ahead, Joe. Hey guys, my name is Joe Pettis. Uh, been in fire service for about nine years now, eight with Mobile. I'm a driver in Mobile, Alabama with Anthony. And then uh, I volunteered. I've been volunteering in Fairhope for the last nine years. Fairhope, Alabama. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah and if you, if, if you could, Joe, I, I want – so – the subject today really is going to focus a lot on training, but one of the main things that we're going to really talk about with gener with the generation engine and the generation of the fire service in a sense is that volunteer side and not so much the full-time side that Joe's involved in. And all three of us uh, started our careers as volunteers. I started off as a volunteer in Ohio, Anthony up there in New Jersey. So all of us have a volunteer background. Uh, and to be honest, it's really what kind of shaped my entire career, that early that early introduction to the fire service. Um, my father being a volunteer, me coming on as a volunteer, all the way up to when I came on the job in Atlanta. So uh, there's a lot of challenges there, but uh, I want Joe to kind of tell us a little bit about Fairhope itself and what um, – Fairhope's very unique, and we're going to touch on something – very near and dear to both mine and Anthony's heart about Fairhope in just a few seconds. But Joe, if you could just kind of tell us a little bit about Fairhope, Alabama, so listeners kind of have a context, because to me, Fairhope is a unique volunteer fire department uh, uh, compared to some of the other ones that we've all been around. Right. Uh, so for us, Fairhope is a 100% volunteer fire department. Uh, we currently have four stations. We're working on our fifth right now. We cover 14 square miles, I think it is. We have uh, Mobile Bay, which is uh, to the west of us, and we cover a little bit of that. I don't know what exactly amounts we cover there, but uh, 
we really just have any type of building construction that you could think of from, you know, shotgun homes to McMansions, a lot of commercial occupancies. Uh, but we're a little bit different and uh, unique because we have what we call day crew guys, um, which they are Monday through Friday. They're technically considered as janitors. So they come to the firehouse, they check the air packs, they check the rigs, they check everything. They do all the fueling and everything like that Monday through Friday on top of us having actual volunteers to show up from home. Yeah, and I think it, it is definitely different the way that you guys kind of – the, the term jander, I'm not a fan of that term, but <laughs> these guys are taking care of the rigs, they're taking care of your equipment, uh, and obviously they're responding to fires as well. Is that correct? correct. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's definitely uh, unique in how they do that and um, – uh, and how they're kind of set up both from a functioning standpoint to a leadership standpoint. Uh, obviously, we know your fire chief there, and he's definitely all in and all about it. The city's very, very supportive of the volunteer fire department, um, and they've obviously shown that to me and what Captain Rowett started there. Uh, I guess I'll let him fill that in. But at this time, we uh, – how many again? We've done it five years now. Five years oh, every day. Lecture to what we've grown to, yeah. Okay. So I want to bring in uh one uh, another instructor that's uh just coming on board to talk about something that we do have coming up again. And I'm gonna let him come in. If uh we can bring in Mr. Uh Mickey Farrell, Lieutenant Mickey Farrell. I'm sorry, I want to make sure I get that introduction right. <laughs> um so let me start with this. Anthony, if you could just introduce what we're going to talk about really quick about Fairhope Alabama and one of the unique things about the organization, the support the city gives us, support the administration gives us, support the fire chief gives us, and really the support the entire organization gives your foundation and the training. So, Roed, if you could speak on that, and we'll kind of blend that all in together. Yeah, so it, it originally started as an idea we had at the, at the firehouse in Mobile between me and Joe talking about a way to to do something for the area, um, whether it was in Mobile County or Baldwin County, we border each other, Mobile being our side, Fair Hopes in Baldwin County, and uh, but making training local for the people that were around us. Because we could go to Pensacola, drive an hour to a conference, and one of the biggest conferences in the country, there's five of them over there a year, and we didn't see a lot of people from our area, even though it was close. So we started trying to find a way to bring it to them and at least take away the travel expense uh, and things like that, of having to stay in a hotel, things like that, just bring people to them, maybe not on as big of a scale, but bring the same quality of instructors, a lot of times the same instructors, and just bring it home. Um, so it started off the first year with bringing you in, Todd. We did the lecture at Fairhope, and then it grew to hands-on from there. It's grown pretty big now compared to what we ever kind of imagined when we started it. But it's become a yearly thing every March that we have a core group we're going to bring in and do two days of live fire hands-on and then bring one or two additional national instructors in for whatever kind of – whatever the main topic of the year is going to be that we're, we're going to do. Like last year, we had engine work. We had Ray McCormack and Steve Robertson. Uh, Mickey's been there every year for like three years now, I think it was. Uh, Brandon Lewis from Atlanta, Brandon Strickland from Decatur, Tim Nagum from Escambia County. So we've got a big core we use to be able to put it on. 
and then we bring in additional instructors. And then what makes it special and the reason we do it in Fairhope all the time is just the support we get from their fire department that they they want that training there. Um, that one special thing is they have a, uh, their own training facility with multiple buildings, multiple burn uh, buildings now. Um, and they'll build any props we need for that class to make the class the best for their guys that are attending and also anyone that travels into town for it. Uh, it's something that's looked forward to all year by us and them as well. Uh, maybe not on the build out side. I know that burns Joe out a little bit, but uh, the, when it comes time to get the training in, they're as excited about getting it done every year as we are. So extremely supportive as far as having the mayors come out and watch the training before. Uh, so it's something special, uh, especially for me and Joe. It was something we started to try to help local people, and we're seeing a lot of local firefighters get more involved and want to show up, asking questions, what are you guys going to do next year? Who are you going to bring in? Uh, and then just trying to grow from there, that that's kind of our big thing locally every year and try to do a few more smaller things too, just to make training kind of a, a nonstop thing right at home with national instructors for everyone in this area. Yeah. And, and kind of leading into the instructor and I, I do want you to, you know, officially introduce yourself, Nick. Uh, truly it's been a, it's been a, privilege and an honor i've learned so much about being an instructor by working side by side next to mickey there and he has been a huge part of this training that we've been doing in fairhope now for several years and i want mickey to kind of express how he feels about the fairhope area the the unbelievable support we get down there and uh what he thinks of where he sees us going over the next couple of years would be awesome mick yeah thanks for having me on guys uh so Mickey Fowle, 28 years in the fire service, uh, 22 with the New York City Fire Department, clearly the rank of lieutenant. Um, so Fairhope, what a special place this is. And uh, as as Anthony knows, I'm I'm rather picky when it comes to hands-on training. I don't do much of it. Um, but meeting you, Todd, has really changed my my outlook on the on the hands-on side of it, especially when the, on the national level. Um, my first time in Alabama flying in there, I wasn't even paying attention to where I was. I had to, I had the window down. We're going to land. I open the window on the plane. And I see, I see water. I didn't even, I'm thinking Alabama. I'm thinking the mountains. I'm thinking the country. And here I am in the port city, uh, landing there and then going into the, to Fairhope and meeting the guys from Fairhope. Fairhope, Alabama, the, the fire department itself is, it's the volunteer fire department. Everybody wishes they had because it has that, that steep, tradition and pride as far as the family the brotherhood um but it carries over to the training which is really really hard to find so uh, anthony and i you know we we all do we all go all over and we we teach all over the country and i haven't found a place like fairhope where there's so much pride behind what they do from the training to the socials afterwards and even when we go into the town um you start meeting some of the people and you let them know why you're in town and they love it even more and they're even coming to the training and watching the following day sometimes. So it's a really special place. Uh, and I really love going down there. And Joe, um, being, you know, being a captain there with Fairhope and, and being a member of that organization for the length of time, how, how did you, did you ever see it being what it is as far as from a training standpoint, how it's kind of, just kind of grown every single year. We've done something a little bit different, a little more deep, a little more advanced in some cases. And how did you ever see this coming about for your organization that you're such a huge and uh, important part of? So 
<clears throat> I never really saw it getting to be the size that it is now. Um, I'm pretty sure Anthony can attest for that because we, especially after the first year, we kind of sat back and was like, man, that was pretty cool. You know, let's do it again. And then he was like, well, maybe let's add a few more students. And then every year just kind of built and built and gotten bigger. But um, it's definitely been a game changer, especially just in Fairhope alone to talk to some of the guys. And I'm not as, I'm not as active right now as I'd like to be, but I'm still around just talking to some of the guys after they make certain runs where they come back to me and say, Hey man, this thing that Mickey taught me or this thing that I learned from Todd, you know, I, I actually applied it on this call. It, it, it definitely warms my heart and it, it kind of gives me a, just a, a total perspective of these guys are really picking up and honing in on their skills. So it definitely, uh, it definitely, you kind of see the fruits of your labor with, just bringing these guys in and being able to see your people develop and your people grow as, you know, humans and as firefighters. Yeah. And I think that I've never, from my perspective, I know from Anthony and I know from mix as well, when we do classes, we don't differentiate between, career part-time or volunteer everybody gets the same exact training everybody gets treated exactly the same and i think that's one of the other unique things that we bring to that table and that that program um is that those guys do actually apply what we're teaching them on actual calls it may be that that day it may be six months from that that training session but i think that's an important aspect that i want guys to kind of take away if they're looking for a training class next year in 2024. Um, Anthony, if you could just kind of, do you have the dates all locked in yet for that? If you have them, we'll share right now. I've got it right here. Let me double check so I don't misstate it. March 9th and 10th. So if you're looking for something, uh, March 9th and 10th, you know, that's, you, you know where we're going to be at. Uh, it's a, again, it's an incredible, incredible opportunity um, let me ask you this. I, I want to kind of move off of that. I think we, we've talked about that event. Uh, I think one of the last things I want to say about that is, uh, Anthony, really, really quick, what else does that benefit besides just the training guys are getting? What else is that going to benefit as far as the way one of the new reasons why we're doing that training there every year? Yeah, so we used to run it just on our own, and uh, that was another thing myself and Joe were trying to do was find ways to not only bring it, home to people that live around us, make it local, but also find ways to do it as cheap as we could and make it very, very affordable for them too, especially as many volunteers are in the area. Uh, we ended up after a few years of seeing the success of it and the interest people had, uh, we ended up starting the Alabama Firefighters Training Foundation. Everyone here right now is on the, the board of it uh, to try to bring training to the state of Alabama, make everything very local, very affordable for people from the state. Uh, and that's one of the basically the biggest event we do every year. Uh, we do we try to do some different things. We've done lectures. We do the hands on. So this year, the first full year, the foundation's been in existence. Uh, we had uh, the Fairhope class, the live fire in March. Uh, we've had Steve Gillespie retired out of FDNY was down here in June. Mike Turpak was just here in Mobile uh, this weekend, just passed. 
And we're trying to do a bunch of things like that and then spread it around the state as well. Uh, me, Todd, Mickey will all be in Decatur, Alabama next month. Uh, Brandon Lewis from Atlanta will be in Tallahassee, Alabama in November. Uh, and then we're, or no, he's in October and November, Sammy Hill will, will be down here in Mobile. So we want to get to where we're doing these things every month. Um, the things we do on weeknights that are, we bring somebody in, it's really based around that volunteer drill night schedule so that they don't have to give up another more days on their weekends to go to training since they are working five days a week. Um, and we just give those away. Even if you don't live in the state of Alabama, it's free to come to those. And then when we do these big classes that take up a full day or multiple days on the weekends, everyone from the state also gets a discount on the registration cost of that as well. So that's kind of how all this is being done now is through that, that nonprofit foundation for training for the state of Alabama, which has actually been able to make a partnership with the Alabama Fire College, which we thought was pretty pretty special to get them on board where they wanted to support the things we're doing. Um, so everyone that comes to our classes gets a certification now from the fire college for attending. Yeah. And I think that's, again, that, that foundation itself is unique. And again, you, you can always reach out to uh, Port City Fire Training and get more information about that. They have a webpage for the foundation. So those are things that, you know, we just wanted to share. Uh, Mickey, do you have just a few extra minutes? Or are you busy? Yeah. No, I'm good. Man. Great. Great. I won't leave Mickey on uh, uh, kind of a uh, add-on here, but kind of shifting gears back to what our main subject matter is and uh, talking about volunteer and everything. How are, and, and we, I want to approach this from uh, two angles. The biggest subject matter I, I keep hearing over and over and over, and it really it's a, it's a critical matter, is about retention of our firefighters or getting guys in, especially on the volunteer side of things. But even full-time fire departments are now struggling to bring in the same number of Vapkins um, that we once did. And uh, really want to hear from each person about their ideas of what they think would make a difference in, in not just hiring, but also I can bring 20 guys in, but how do I keep 20 guys there for the next 25 or 30 years? So, let me start on the volunteer side with um, Joe as far as how are you keeping – because some of the guys I know, I've been down in Fairhope a bunch, and the same guy, I see the same guys. How are you guys getting new guys to come onto the department, Joe? Or is that a struggle? Um, it's, in all honesty to me, uh, from my perspective, I kind of see it as it's kind of 50-50. It's, it's been going fairly steadily fairly steady for us and it's been going pretty good, but also just retaining people. That's more so of the problem. We have people come in all the time, but keeping them because once they actually come in and see the dedication and commitment that a lot of our members are putting forth, they kind of step back and go, ah, can I really do this? And, you know, do I have the time? Um, Fairhope, just to be quite honest, it's, it's not cheap to live here. And so, you know, you have some people that uh, they might be working one or two jobs and think, hey, you know, I want to volunteer. Well, you know, this time, you know, volunteering cuts into their time that they could be with their family or time that they could be making extra money, you know. And so it's one of those things where we have plenty of people come in, but to keep them, it's been uh, it's been kind of a just a little struggle with that. But the members, like you said, the members that you've constantly seen since the beginning you know those guys were either born and raised in it or 
they're just all about it. They make it work. And and Mick, yeah, I kind of want to get your feedback, and not from the FDNY standpoint, because I think FDNY is a, is a unique animal in itself when it comes to hiring and retention. But just from your travels and 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 knowing guys throughout the country, and especially up in that part of the country where the volunteer fire service is a big bit, it's a bigger deal up there than it is down here in the southeast. So uh, maybe some perspectives you can share, or even some ideas would be awesome. Yeah, you know, as big as it is um, a culture, a cultural thing in the Northeast as far as a volunteer, I do believe, unfortunately, it's slowly dying. And I think it comes from like what, what Pettis said in regards to being outpriced, right, outbid, or the neighborhoods where at one time was a blue-collar neighborhood are becoming wealthy, and those volunteers are being priced out of their neighborhoods, and there's, and there's no one to, to volunteer anymore. The ones that are sticking around, Quite honestly, there's too many rules in the fire service, in the volunteer fire service. There's, it makes too many rules. Um, training, mandatory. I get it. But lay off some of the rules from the, from the chief, the president, the commissioner, whoever it runs. Make it a place that people want to come. Nobody wants to come from their third job to the volunteer house and have a set of rules that really don't make sense. Fire ground rules, I get it. But not like the, the basic housekeeping. That's pushing guys away because let's be honest, there's not fires every day anywhere anymore. Um, I grew up in the volunteer fire service. I'd come down with my old man. We'd hang out. We'd tell stories. We'd laugh. I'd sit back in the bumper and take it all in. I don't see that anymore because when you come down, there's a form of negativity um, of guys resenting or, or, or fighting the system because the system doesn't really make sense anymore. That's it. Then that, I, I think your perspective on, um, uh, guys getting out where the, the communities, certain communities around there have changed so much. I know um, Fairhope uh, is not, you know, it's a, it's a higher end uh, suburb of uh, Mobile. So I can see where that that could be an issue throughout the country where what was once a small blue collars town is now a high end suburb of a major city. Um I got a opportunity a year ago to visit Captain Rowett's original volunteer fire department. It was one of the more, more unique firehouses I've ever been in. And the mere fact they had like 5,000 trophies from different uh, apparatus shows and muster events. I've never seen that many damn trophies in my life. So uh, how, how are they doing, Captain? And, I, and what, are you, what are your thoughts about it? Well, Mickey can attest to it because we, we grew up in towns right next to each other. Uh, border each other and uh, the, the same people you'll see in there today for the most part of the same ones were there when I started volunteering there, you know, 18 years ago. Uh, it, it, they don't, it's a very, very small town. Uh, there's not a lot of people there in the first place and they're just not getting a lot of people coming in wanting to do it. And then the time commitment, I know one thing they've always told me they struggle with and I went in there, you know, started as an explorer, you know, 16, 17 years old. Um, so being in college and going through firefighter one and all that, uh, wasn't a big deal, but the time commitment of the training, I know they've said is a major issue for them. Uh, when people come in and want to train and they have this dedicated, you know, basically like six month time frame where they're going to be giving up a couple nights a week to go to training. And that's a big issue for them. Just getting people to be able to come in and get through that initial time commitment of the training so that they can be a member of the fire. But if you go to that firehouse today, it's probably 
most of the people in there are probably faces I know and that I volunteered with there 18 years ago. There's not many new names on their roles probably um, from, from when I was there a decent amount of time ago. And Mickey could tell you, I mean, that's a place that there's a lot of pride um, in everything they do, but it's just not going to draw a ton of people in. Small town, huge time commitment, and all that kind of stuff um, when you're already working a full-time job or two. Yeah, and I think uh, I think we're we're kind of I think the fire service as a whole maybe is missing the boat a little bit when it comes to getting that interest early on because I started basically at seven years old, you know, going to fires in my dad's pickup truck, going to sitting in the truck watching these guys work and then helping wash fire trucks and stuff and the you know those days are are you know fast fading I guess so in. How do we get people back into the job? And I'm not talking about just on the volunteer side. I'm just talking about in general. I think the volunteer fire service is going to continue to struggle. I don't think uh, there's an easy answer or even a good fix for that. Um, in today's society, it's, you know, the money driven and the economy and all the other commitments folks have is is very difficult. to Oh, by the way, honey, for the next six months, I'm going to spend it. I'm going to spend every Wednesday night or Thursday night at the volunteer house to get my certification. And so, yeah, that's going to be, that's a, it's a tough road, no doubt about it. Um, but what about just the 15 year old kid right now? Um, I have the mere, my first thought is not every kid, my kids weren't built for college. They were built more on that trade side of things. I think we need to do a better job at the, high school level to introduce high school kids into our job, into our passion and our career. And more so than just coming by the firehouse and looking at our fire trucks, it needs to be at full, full programs. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of some of those programs, but I know there's those type of things going on now, but just uh, your thoughts about that, uh, Mickey, as far as how do we, how do we get people to buy in the way we're all bought in? at 15, 16 years old and, you know, their dad or mom's not involved in the fire service. I think, like you said, going back to what Anthony was saying, how that same firehouse where he grew up, it's the same guys that were there when he was in high school. And 10 years from now, there'll be the same guys sitting there and their kids will be (laughs) sitting there as well. Um, Like he said earlier, our towns used to border each other. They still do, but um, we used to laugh. They used to come to our fires. So (laughs) when, we did a class up in that department uh, a few years back. That was the first time I was in that firehouse in years. And that's the first time I met Joe as well. <clears throat> Great turnout. And then afterwards was even a better turnout because they have a little side area where it's, it was a bar, you know, like the firehouse bar. And that's how they raise funds or whatnot. But as the day trickled on and was coming to an end as far as the training, we went into the sidebar just to say hello, goodbye type thing. And then, uh, shake some hands, meet some people, and it was packed full of families. They were ordering food. It brought me back to when I was a kid in the 80s growing up in the firehouse. Um, I really liked that. So I clicked right away. I got in the car. I called my old man, and I said, you know, all those years that we were so concerned about going to fires in the next town, they had it figured out from the whole time, right? It was always about family and community. That's what draws in firefighters to the volunteer fire service. Unfortunately, there's not enough fires. We get the ones like us who are very passionate about going to fires and we make it a life. This is our, our livelihood, our, our, our profession, but it's not everyone's call of duty to be 
a professional firefighter or do it for a living. So we have to make it a fun place to be, a family-oriented place. How many departments don't have softball teams that used to have it in the 80s and 90s, right? As simple as that. So I think by starting that family side of it again, taking those times when we can go to the firehouse rather than do something else, bringing your families there, having the barbecues, doing the dinner dances, having the company picnics, turning out and showing up, I think that'll hopefully trend the volunteer fire service to the future where taking what we learned in the past and bringing it to the future in the present. Very, I, I love that. I, I, and it's one of the things that uh, me and my wife do a program about that family side because it's so critical for our families to be involved uh, in the fire service, whether it's at the career level or the volunteer level and, having that 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 feeling of uh, of family when our you know when people are at work and bringing those my kids grew up in the fire service they don't know anything but the fire service neither one are firefighters but they fully understand the fire service and they're friends with all of my friends who are firefighters and so that they've never been we've never shied away of having them around this environment so i think that's uh, definitely a, a perspective what it, uh for Kind of on that same topic, though, how do we what do you think, uh, Anthony, as far as getting people into that career side and how we what what are some ideas about introduce? I mean, not everybody's going to go to college. So what are some ideas maybe Mobile's looking at to, to up their recruitment? And it's not just I, I don't want to hear anything about money. Money is a factor, but it can't be the driving force. We have, we have some programs where the city has a recruiter. They have programs where they go into. Um, some of the high schools and they, they work programs with the kids in the high schools to make them more uh, understanding of what we do, maybe try to attract them to the fire department. But I think it's it's honestly to me simpler than that. I think it's the most powerful thing we have is our people. Um, the more our people are going out saying how much they love being on the fire department, there's nothing more powerful than that. When people are mm-hmm. walking around taking pride in the fact that they're on the mobile fire department and telling people how much they love being on the mobile fire department. So. Um, I think our best recruitment te- tool is also our best retention tool is that we have to just take care of our people. Um, and I think the best way to do that is to invest in the more. And I'm not talking money. Like you said, you go out and you do training with your people and you show them you care. You're actually teaching them the job. You're making sure just because they may have went to a, a crappy crew that doesn't want to do much with them. If you're doing something to still engage them, show them you're teaching them the job. They don't see it as this is a crappy job. They just see it as I'm in a crappy house. I need, I need another option. I need a transfer, not a new job. Um, and then the more that they see the, the pride in the fire department, someone investing in them and teaching them the job, the more they develop a love for the job. And once they love the job, they're going to tell everybody that they love the job. So I think it, it, on a simplistic level, it's to invest in your people with your most important thing, which is time. Uh, you put your time into people and you try to teach them the job. That'll help them develop that love for the job, and then they'll share that love for the job with somebody else. And that'll help you then recruit people as well as as we can. And I'm just going to bounce that right to you, Joe, as far as how what, you, what your thoughts are and what me and, and uh, Ro and Mick have been talking about. Uh, I'm going to agree with Anthony on that. Uh, just from the, the volunteer aspect of it, we – here in Fairhope, we uh we invest in our guys a lot. We uh we 
we purchased the CFT 100 tickets the last two or three years. We've sent guys to Pensacola as much as possible. Uh, obviously, we do the hands-on training in Fairhope every year for the last four or five years. So we really invest in our guys as far as the training aspect. Um, and they know that. And all of these resources are just open to them. They, I mean, it's totally up to them and their schedules. But going back to what Mickey said about, you know, the family aspect, we do probably anywhere from five to ten family events a year just here in Paris. Uh, I know Easter, you know, I brought my daughter out here and she was running around with all the other kids playing duck, duck, goose, you know, but it, it's one of those things where those two things kind of balance each other out where you invest in the people and you also invest in their families. You show the families, hey, this is why, you're, you know, your loved one is away from home. So, you know, they're away from home and they have to run these calls and they have to do all of this stuff. You know, it just shows that you appreciate the family not just the member itself. So I think Fairhope does a really good job of doing it, but maybe some other departments, you know, they need to kind of just step back and look at it and say, are we really giving the most that we can to our members and their families? Yeah, I think uh, everything you said, I think that's just, it's just so, so, so important. And, both on both sides, both volunteer and on the career side, that has to be a uh, a major component uh, in our in our career because it's unlike everybody else. You know, where we're gone so many hours and we're missing so many family events. Having that family aspect and that family involvement, I think, is huge on both sides of the spectrum. There, um, I want to kind of roll into something else, and that's on the training side and. I know we kind of spoke about obviously the event, the the, the two day event in March in Fairhope, but from a training side, for the volunteer side especially, how are you guys keeping everybody so engaged? Then, um, and I, just not outside the conferences, but just on a regular basis, because your guys that I see all the time are those those jokers are one hundred percent invested in the training aspect when they're building when they're out there for days. And weeks leading up into March, building brand new props because one of us had some crazy idea. And they're like, oh, yeah, we can build that. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> what they've done and allowed us to do down there. But uh, how, how do you keep those guys? How do we keep uh, the training aspect of things alive at the volunteer level? Let's start with that one first. I think for Fairhope, really, it's just putting the right players in the right positions and allowing them to kind of do their own thing. Uh, the chiefs here, they don't, they don't like, you know, micromanage us at all. They, they give us a project. They let us run with it. You know, how much is it going to cost us? And then they, they just go with it. Um, I know that we have a lot of members that are very talented in different, you know, things, you know, they're blue collar guys. So they work for a living. So, you know, there's some guys that do, heavy machinery. So, you know, one night we might come to training and have that guy on heavy machinery. He might bring his tractor in, you know, or whatever it may be. But we, uh, we definitely engage all of our, or try to engage all of our members and utilize them to the best of their abilities, you know, because we all have, we all come from different walks of life and we all have something different that we could offer up. So 
we, I mean, that's just the way that we've done it since I've been a part of Fairhope. Very, yeah, I love that. I love that you guys are using your talent, not just one guy trying to teach the whole department. I think uh, that's got to be huge for your your future and your long term. And kind of spinning that, because uh, I had this thought, I had, I was actually having a conversation with a uh, member, I'm not going to say what department, I'm not even going to say what state he's in, but they struggle with training, just get, just sending a guy to a class within their own state is met with, you know, kind of what Mickey was saying earlier. We got to have 8,000 layers of paperwork for a guy to literally go two hours away from his own organization for a two day class. And then we got to have this and we got to have the per diem. And then we got to have this time. They got around to it. All the class was sold out and the guys didn't even get to go. So on our end, Mickey, and from your end, I want to kind of look at this from what about when you have guys that think they don't really need training anymore because they're on, you know, Atlanta, they're on FDNY, they're on Mobile. So they start making that assumption because we go to work, we don't need to go to training. Yeah, you know, I think it's a fine line of humility um, in the volunteer and paid side. Uh, unfortunately, when when they do finally venture out of, of, of where they began their careers, I think it happens to all of us where they feel they don't need the training. It happened to me. I think it happened to probably Anthony and you as well. At one point in your life, you're like, you know what? I don't need that anymore. I got this. I got that. I'm going to a fire tonight. And then you kind of lose sight of the basics of the training. But I think um, simplicity will be the future of success in the fire service. And we can't forget that. We keep trying to reinvent the wheel as far as training. But if we just rely on our basics, that will push the fire service forward. And keeping it basic will allow all members to be on board. Um, SOPs, SOGs, you know, they kind of vary and change over time. But if we just keep the basics of stretching lines, getting water on the fire, getting searches, opening the roof, all the things that put fires out um, across the board. I think it kind of brings a community of the highest trained firefighter to the lowest trained firefighter um, to learn. So the highest trained firefighter can now teach the lowest trained firefighter how to stretch a line, but he's sharpening his skills while the next guy is developing his skills. Um, So it is a fine line of humility. I think a big problem in the volunteer fire service, especially, is the budgets. Where are we putting our money? We hear so much about fundraising and the budget and separate budgets for separate things. But when you look at the training budget, a lot of times it's, it's, there's not much there. But there's a big budget for a party or a big budget for 85-inch flat screen TV. <laughs> but there's no budget for training. Guys are paying out of their own pocket to go to training. That's discouraging, and that'll get old after time. We have to reevaluate where we're putting our money and how we're spending it in the volunteer fire service. Because ultimately, yes, it's about family, but when the tones do go off, fire is everywhere. It doesn't change if you're in the South Bronx or if you're in your small town in Alabama. It's fire, and we have to be able to perform. I, I love um, I love the answer about simplicity. Always, and Matt. I'm not making fun of anything, but I always kind of laugh when somebody tells me or I see an advertisement for advanced search and rescue. Well, what's advanced about BES or what's advanced about doing a primary search? So I haven't been to one of those classes. I guess I need to go to one and find out what I'm not doing. Um, Because I think, excuse me, I think the simplicity part is a huge factor. But I want to also 
where the money's being spent, not just on volunteer fire departments, but what about our full-time fire departments? I watched the budget. I watched a train chief at one organization that I happen to work for took pride in turning budget money back in versus sending guys to FDIC or sending guys to uh, uh, to whatever event. And I always thought that was funny, but we had enough budget to buy special signs for parking spots for all the chiefs, but we didn't have any budget to send four guys to FDIC. So I think that 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 goes both ways, not just on the volunteer side, but what of our what are our full time departments? Obviously, uh, the biggest budget thing for any full time department is is pay, salaries, and bennies. But after that. What's that money being spent on? Are we spending the money on revamping our training facilities or sending guys outside the you know outside the department for their training? Um, obviously, I've been to uh, the Rock, which was one of the most coolest experiences I've ever had in my life to go visit that facility. But what about with Mobile? Is that you know where do you guys stand with your budget monies and and the training aspect of it for an organization your size, bro? Yeah, it's it's one of our lower end of our budget as far as size. Uh, mm-hmm. They are trying to make some adjustments and do some things there. They were working on building us a new training facility uh, that hit the news and, and kind of got halted when they realized when they were digging for the new driveway that our training center was built on a graveyard. Uh, so that stopped that. So <laughs> it's kind of halted right now. We're we're sticking with what we've got till they find some new land in the city that they want to build a full public safety training complex for PD and fire. Uh, but they were going down that route of trying to update everything we had. Uh, we've been pushing for different things we could do and, and make the most of the money we do have. Uh, recently they approved our tactical training unit uh, and got that started. We modeled it after talking to Mickey and Champo and guys in New York that uh, where they already have a program like that and trying to not reinvent the wheel and, have to go over a bunch of speed bumps and trying to figure out how to do something that engages every member every month and all that kind of stuff. So bounced a lot of ideas off of them and uh, it hasn't fully launched. We're working on the training videos right now. And then we have a monthly training letter news uh, newsletter going out. Anytime there's a near miss, if they feel like there's some, it could have been addressed through training, they don't want to address things with discipline. If they can do it through training, they bring in the, the members of the tactical training unit to do that training and, we're just having to run nonstop recruit classes right now. So our training staff's pretty, they're pretty scheduled. Uh, it, it doesn't have much time for anything else right now because we're running the biggest classes we've ever had and they're back to back to back because we're losing people through just retention issues. But also we've hit that time frame where we had started hiring bigger classes and they're all hitting their 30 years. So we're having more retirements than ever before too. Plus just the, the current retention problem that, we're nonstop hiring people. So our training staff's already limited and their time's just being dedicated to getting these recruits out. So they ended up approving it and get putting some money aside for uh, guys in the field that have a specialty in certain topics to all come together and try to do something better for the fire department and bring everybody up some. So uh, that's kind of where we're at. We did try to do something good, like a brand new training facility. Uh, some unforeseen things came into that. When an excavator dug one foot lower than I guess it should have, and uh, that put that on halt. But they they are trying to find ways to do things uh, like the Sam Hiddle class. Our fire chief's working on getting our convention center for that class to be able to be there where you taught when you came in, Todd. Just so that uh, if we did it in the city, he knows he can send on duty companies to it. 
and it just make more of his members available to it so uh and, and make it available to them so just trying to find ways to do the most with what we are given by the city uh they are open to ideas and uh if they can see value in it they're willing to do it and invest the money it's just figuring out the best way to go about spending what the city does give us to find ways to you know get the most bang for the buck with training and not just putting out you know target solutions but actually doing something that's realistic and the best part about what we're doing is and from talking to mickey i mean about the way they do things is we're putting it out and this is the way we operate in the city of mobile it's built around our city our staffing and this is the way we operate not oh this is from this department and they do this and maybe it'll work here no this is the way we we do things and being able to put that resource out for our people and bring our people all, all up together all on one mindset of you know getting the job done because that translates to the fire ground when they can count on each other because they all know everyone does the same thing. They know where they're supposed to be. They know their position and they need to make it. And kind of same, that same kind of uh, format question for you too, Mick. I mean, coming from just a monster organization as far as that goes for you guys. How were were you got were you guys kind of take your training, especially now as a lieutenant? Um, how you're doing more at that company level? I think is where I kind of want to go with you. Uh, that company level training that somebody could benefit, or how you kind of see the what's the most important thing from you know your level now being at the company level position at the company level training position. Yeah, so I feel every run we go on, we're training, right? And even even prepping the meal, we're training. We're always training. It's just when you put the the phrase or the or that, that tag training, it turns some guys off. But if you focus in on making every run an experience or or, or something to learn from, it 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 travels much further, if you will. So you go on a, a nuisance run for just say a gas leak, right? So. You start with the probie. He's he, he's an easy target. Start bouncing ideas off him, and then the three-year guy chimes in. Then the eight-year guy chimes in. And next thing you know, 20 minutes later, we're all standing around still talking about the same building. I think if you kind of trick the guys into training, um, you'll, you know, you have success. You don't have to do it on that time allotted of, of training. In the FDNY, we have two times a tour where we're supposed to train. I don't think anyone really follows that because most companies are, are training throughout the day. You know, um, we take a mark during those times, but the training never stops. Every run we go on is training. Um, when you work in a great place such as I do right now, the guys train without you. That, that's the best place to work in where you're not on the company level, where you're walking into the drills a lot of times. And then you have the eight-year guy teaching the five-year guy. And then you walk into another room and then the, the senior probie is teaching the junior probie something basic about about how to do the rotting list or something. So it's constantly a learning um, evolution within the firehouse. Uh, kicking it back to the volunteer side, which I think we need to hone in on, is not everybody wants to crawl down hallways. And I struggled with this when I was a younger kid in the fire service. If you didn't want to crawl down a hallway with me, I don't want to talk to you. And my dad, he was a, a great volunteer fire chief. And he used to tell me, Mickey, it's not about that. This guy over here, he's a tremendous dump truck driver. Let's make him the best MPO we have. And that guy became the best MPO the department had because he could drive trucks, he handled trucks. Now, if you give him the understanding of, okay, now we're going to talk hydraulics, he can figure it out. 
And that makes him the best MPO we have. So in the volunteer role, we have to understand that not everyone is born and bred to crawl down hallways, but there is a place for them to be. Let's focus on that and give them opportunity to be the best firefighters they can be. I love that. I absolutely love that. And I want to kind of switch that right to you, Joe, as far as your approach as a captain with Fairhope Volunteer Fire uh, and how you how you guys kind of manage that same aspect. Or are you guys already kind of doing what uh, Mickey's talking about? Yeah, we're trying to do what basically what Mickey's talking about with, you know, we know, you know, for instance, this guy does, you know, he works with a power company or something on his days or, you know, that's his full time job. And uh, we may hone in on that a little bit, have him teach about, you know, power lines and overheads and everything like that. Um, we just kind of work to everybody's strengths. And uh, I can definitely tell you that our chiefs are able to kind of step in and work to our weaknesses as well. They, they come in and, hey, you know, I know we have a few members that are struggling on this. Can y'all brush up on this? And uh, they'll put a task on anyone that they feel is fit to kind of brush our members up on whatever they need to do. Mickey's 100% correct. Everybody's not going to crawl down hallways with you. Um, but there is a place for people in the volunteer fire service. We, we may need somebody to fill out paperwork. Hey, there's a place for you. Or, you know, if this guy is just a grunt and he can throw ladders and pull hose, hey, we want him to, you know. So there's a place for everybody. You just have to be able to accept it and be able to know your role and be able to just thrive in your role. Yeah, I love that. So from on the volunteer side, and, and I think we've been – I don't want to say the word lucky, but I guess in a sense we've been lucky that we our line of duty deaths are a, a lot of hosts of other things, not you know, not you know, it's always a big gigantic fire. But from a safety aspect, Joe, and looking at it from you know your aspect, what are one of your what's your what are some safety concerns that we need to be thinking about, both from the formal training aspect and from the recruitment aspect and all those type of things. This, you know, the safety for volunteer, because I think that's a, another thing that maybe can be a challenge in keeping guys engaged is that safety element. Um, I know when a friend of mine joined a volunteer, the first words out of his wife's mouth was, oh, my God, he's going to die because, you know, they people have a persona that, you know, if you get on a fire truck, you're going to get killed at a house fire. So what are some safety things you guys have addressed from the volunteer side that maybe could translate to other uh, members or people listening, uh, both on the volunteer and maybe even the career side. Uh, yeah. So with us in there, what we, we've, we've came back around to it of doing, you know, the probie books, the rookie books, things like that, where, you know, we, we gain a new member. We kind of separate them from the senior members during our trainings. And it's not, you know, just a single matter or anything like that. If there's people that are kind of struggling that have been members for a while, we also send them to a, kind of more of a remedial basics, you know, hey, let's don our gear and doff our gear, you know, and let's start timing it. Hey, this is the mechanics of, you know, this tool or whatever it may be. But we spend a lot more time with them trying to make sure that they understand all of the basics before we start moving on to 
hey, well, you know, this can actually happen, this type of call or anything like that. So we, we definitely work with the newer members in the sense of we don't just throw them to the wolves and, hey, you know, tomorrow we need you to be the best firefighter you've ever seen in your life. You know, we, we understand that everybody's not going to be to a certain level. So we have to really take our time and pay attention to what we're working with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it sounds, you know, like a, you have a concept at least or some ideas or some plans to keep that. Um, what about from your experiences, Mick, on that safety side for on the volunteer side? Um, consistency equals professionalism in everything we do. But in the volunteer world especially, we have to be getting dressed for our runs. Uh, it's far too often you see even at, at, a, at a working fire, you'll see a guy in a bunker coat and shorts. You know, it's just it's, – it's not professional. It's not a paycheck that which makes you a professional firefighter. It's understanding where you fit in. And it's understanding that consistency ultimately will equal professionalism. Um, having a systematic approach to always quickly and properly donning your gear. This starts in the fire academy. However, we don't really take it beyond the fire academy. We have to start doing that. So on your work nights, your drill nights, practice getting dressed. Get comfortable with the tools. Make the tools an extension of your body. Because all this, when you get to the fire ground, makes for a safer fire ground when you act professional. Um, that's where we get lost in the mix. So I think just the basics, you know, we could talk about training all day long, but sometimes training is as simple as picking up a tool and feeling the counterbalance and how that feels in your hands. So when you go to force the door, it makes sense. Um, I think that's how we could, we could start by, you know, someone making the fire ground safe. There's no fire ground that's safe. We understand that, but safety comes from within understanding your tools and understanding your purpose on the fire ground. Love that. Uh, Ro. And you yeah, got some Boston, older Boston. older guys on your organization back there in New Jersey. So yeah, uh, yeah, they, they kind of let the young guys work a lot of times. Uh, but <laughs> I, I think from and, and that was you know 15 years ago I left there. Um, but I think a lot of what they had came from one. They all had it didn't matter you know when you came in the fire department and to an extent uh, when they ran mutual aid because everything they do is mutual aid. All of us in the county went to the same fire academy for our initial training. So I think it started with that, that there was consistency across the board of the departments that ran together and what your basic, your basis was. And then they took a lot of pride in it. So they did a lot of training, uh, you know, throughout. But um, it was the senior guys continually making sure they passed everything down. And they made sure those young guys felt included. Uh, and like I said, that they were investing their time in them. So you, it, it the older guys in the firehouse took on like a father's role for you in that environment because they put so much time into you. The last thing you want to do is disappoint. So you would put the time in to make sure you learned what they taught you because they put so much time into you. And then it wasn't all the departments, but we had some, you know, guys that were members of multiple departments. Like one of my best friends back there, you've all met him before Dennis. And he's, a, he's still a member there and a member of Hardiston up the road. And those departments, because they had members that were members of both, would train together. And I think that translates just to like uh, if me and Joe were at work and we have a drill with engine eight or engine two, the companies we run with at buyers and we don't just drill on our own once in a while, we're drilling with them as well. And we're preparing for things where maybe things don't go according to plan and how will we react and work together. And then we've seen that play out on calls before where it created a positive outcome because I knew what the other boss was going to do and he knew what I was going to do. And when we had to, call an audible to what we're usually doing on scene. It went off without a hitch. 
So I think it, it kind of translates where in my world now it's it's training with the companies beside me because we're going to go to fires. When I was volunteering, they took the time to train with the companies they were doing mutual aid with. And it was the same. We had, you know, we had one firehouse. We didn't go to any fire by ourselves. We had mutual aid to everything. So they trained together. And uh, their, their basis of their training was the same because it was all at the same fire academy. And then they trained once in a while together, plus on their own, to make sure they could interact on those scenes. You know, not everyone doing their own thing. They knew each other. They knew how each other operated. You know, Anthony, just to branch off that, what you said about the countywide fire academy, what we have to remember is that most times when you go to a county de- academy, the county is different within that the parameters of the county. So, for instance, I know where you went to um, the fire academy, and I, I started there as well, but you go to the northern end of that county and there's no hydrants. So now we're talking about tankers. You go to the southern end of the county, it's all hydrants. So very different tactics. So we, like you said, you have to be on page, the same page as the companies you run in with. Even in the FDNY, we have five boroughs. It's one platform of learning the basic tactics. But when you get to your borough, your firehouse, you realize that every neighborhood has its own dialect within the language we're teaching. That's very important. That That's 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 across the board. And that falls upon the senior men. So when you get the junior guys into the firehouse, the probies, you take the time to teach them how you're doing it. Um, and that's the disconnect between the fire academy and the fire floor. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, I, I, I love this, the, this conversation. Um, I'm, I'm always blown away when we're at, at larger events, you know, when I say larger events, the, the County fire tactic events and the FDICs and the firehouse expos and you run into and you start talking to guys and how many uh, these are a lot of volunteers come to these events. And, you know, I love that they're coming to these. And it's even more impressive that these guys are coming out of their own time, their own pocket, their own days off from their full time jobs uh, to attend these training classes. And uh, kind of going back to our Fairhope thing, I, I think it's unique that we don't. We, I don't take a difference in who they are. I mean, I think at, at Joe's level, he's got to work to their strengths. But when they come to our trainings, volunteer, the fire don't care. The fire doesn't care if it's a volunteer or a full-time fire firefighter. So I think uh, everything we're talking about is, is so important. And hopefully, um, you know, guys will buy into some of these messages and, and kind of work towards some of those things. As far as you know, understanding that it's great to go out and get trained outside their organizations too, when it when it's possible. I think what Anthony's doing in Alabama is very unique uh, with the foundation, and there's a large number of volunteer fire departments throughout the state of Alabama and Georgia, and obviously throughout the Northeast as well. But man, anytime we can do something like that to help out, you know, a twenty, especially a younger volunteer firefighter. I mean, it's just awesome, you know, the conversation we're having about all this and kind of making all that work and hopefully make it work even better uh, over the next several years. So I do have, I want to ask this question uh, here because we're getting towards the end. Favorite drill you like to do with company officers and with firefighters? And I'll start with Rowett on that. Start with your favorite drill for just company officers first. Um, so I'm going to go kind of a different route than probably expected because it's not meant necessarily the favorite, but I think we get a lot out of it. That's not expected. And that's why I do enjoy it. And it might be weird of me. I enjoy business inspections. 
I think they're a very good opportunity to be in an informal environment and gain a lot of information because one, you got to go in and do the paperwork. You got to do all that and do what you're there for. Uh, you do that and handle it and let, let the guys walk off, let the young guy talk on his phone and text and do whatever he's going to do. And, and he'll, you'll, you'll own it afterwards. But uh, especially like you're saying, like company officer, if you're preparing somebody, uh, like I know when I'm off, Joe rides in my seat. I, he's the boss when I'm not there. So it's a good environment where we can talk and you talk about the building construction. You talk about things special about that building. Hey, look, we got an open elevator shaft here, this with this building, this with this building. And it also helps you because you go on a fire and there's been times he's remembered something about a building and I didn't. And now everybody has it, not just you. But it's also that informal environment to sit there and, and burn the building down and talk about it and say, hey, you got a fire on the second floor in the rear. What are you going to do? It's two o'clock in the morning. Here's your you, you got one person missing. Go. What are you going to do? Which line are you pulling? How long the line are you? pulling? What are your orders to the other companies? Are you doing this? And you just walk and you talk through the whole fire and you can do that with everybody. Um, but I think because of the informal environment you can create in a business inspection, that that training wasn't the main topic on their mind when you did it. You're out to do a business inspection. You can get them in a different mindset where they don't feel like it's training. It's just the discussion while you're there and they're very open to throw their ideas out. Maybe you learn something from them. Maybe you point out something that comes up in a fire later down the road, but you're in a building there. It's in their first due. They may go to a fire. There's that that's invaluable in my opinion to get to play that out, to know from now on, Hey, we need, three, you know, 300 feet of hose for this building. We need this for this building. And you remember that we have a building in our run here. Some reason they thought it was a good idea to put the, put the fire pump in a non-waterproof vault in the sidewalk. It's a half a block from the bay. I mean, when we get hurricanes, there's no, there's a sump pump down there, but it does no good. The, it's in, it's in court right now to figure out who's paying to replace it. But to know that that fire pump can't start, it, it's, it's not going to run. To know that the piping from the FTC goes through that same vault and is rotted out as well. And even if you pump the FTC, probably going to blow apart and you're not going to get water into the standpipe riser. To know, okay, in that building, the front stairwell does not have a well hole, but the rear one does. We're probably going to position a little different than we typically would because of the fact that we know that about that building. And that all comes from business inspections. Uh, Chief Turpak was in town. We went and walked some buildings together. We specifically walked one that I, I'll bring up for Mickey. But we talked about one where, and I've, I said it to you, Todd, as soon as I saw it, uh, it was like this time last year before we went to Lake of the Ozarks, the building's over 100 years old. You would never expect it has a lightweight steel truss roof. But they did a remodel on it, and they replaced the entire roof system with lightweight, unprotected steel. So to know that, the only way you'll ever know that is to get out in that building. And now you know that that's invaluable. And then you talk about that with the guys and you put someone like Joe on the spot who has to ride in that seat preparing to get promoted, and you say, what does this do to your size of knowing this? And put people on the spot. Then we have a building that throws Mickey for a loop all the time because they put a shaft in the front of the building. To know that up front and be able to say, put it on the radio. It's a reminder for the ladder truck that's housed with us. But if they're not there, and we're getting a ladder truck that does not come down there very often, for me to know to say that in my size of report, hey, beware, don't. Don't ladder the AD corner. You're going to fall three three floors through a shaft. You know, you can't get that information any other way about your run area than to get out in those buildings. So I really enjoy business inspections because of that. I love it. I love it. I got to do, uh, I was in Spartanburg earlier this year with uh, Chief Turpak and 
uh, we were walking to a social event and it took us like 45 minutes to get there because we stopped off at one building and found that this building had a full bowling alley and bar in the basement that you would never see from the street. You actually had to walk in there to find this. And it, it was, again, one of those unique opportunities on a, on basically we're just walking around and go, look at this. And next thing I know, we're in the bowling alley of a basement, you know, in a basement looking at a bowling alley. Uh, also non-sprinkler, bowling alley in a basement. So, you know, you just never know uh, what you're going to see on those building tours and like that. Favorite drill, Joe, with your for Fairhope. Thank you. One of your favorite drills of all time to do with your guys in Fairhope. Flowing and moving. Always. Always, always, always. Doesn't matter who it's with. I don't care. I love the flow and move. That's I don't know. I just zone out sometimes <laughs> and mock to the flame, but uh just being able to kind of Pass those body mechanics off to those guys and those little tips and tricks that you kind of learn along the way. Um, to me, that's just the most rewarding thing. And then when they go out and they make a fire and they come back and tell you, hey, I, I figured out that this works versus this, you know, or I hold it, you know, a little bit different, but I may, you know, kind of move the line a little bit better. It, it, it It's a rewarding feeling. And, uh, that's just always been one thing that I love to do. It doesn't matter how hot, how cold it is outside. If you want to flow water, I'm willing to do it. So awesome. that's just awesome. The fair guys love it. And Mickey. Um, from the office. You did not say anything with truck work, Mickey. No. Uh, <laughs> my, my, my favorite drill as far as from an officer standpoint is it's around 11, quarter to midnight maybe. You take the blue shirt off. And you walk downstairs and you see who's lingering because the ones that are lingering are the ones that want to learn. And then the shirt's put away. The guys that want to watch movies are watching movies. Guys that are doing their own thing, working out, doing their own thing. But then you have a core group of guys that are usually hanging in the kitchen and they're talking fires. That's my favorite drill as an officer is to sit down and right away they start asking you questions. And that leads to maybe one thirty, two o'clock in the morning. You're still sitting there talking. Um, I love that as an officer. I love the fact that when you take the shirt off, you come to the kitchen when you're supposed to be in your office doing your own thing. Um, you get to know the guys, mind, body, heart, and soul. That makes a good leader. You know, There's so many books out there teaching leadership, but we're not talking about this love for your men. And I think we've lost that. Um, when I was a firefighter, my ultimate favorite drill was the meal prep. Um, it gets overlooked many times in this mindset as, as a drill, but it's understanding where you fit in on the fire ground. I say it all the time. Um, you chopping onions, boom, boom, boom. Next guy walks in, he starts chopping peppers. The third guy walks in, he realizes onion, peppers, done. Let me get the sausage, get that going on the grill, right? Understanding where you fit in, that's the drill. So when the tones go off, you go out the door, everyone knows where they fit in. Um, so if you don't do anything in the 24 or in the tour because you had a bad night or guys are hungover or whatever it is, prep the meal because that's the only drill you really need to have an accomplished day, in my opinion. I love that. That's a great, that's a very unique perspective, too. I love that answer. Um, company officer, I'm with both of you. This that downtime, especially as a battalion chief, sitting around and just BSing. Uh, hot washes, always, always a great tool. I definitely recommend that on the volunteer side after you've had a fire. And it doesn't have to be a three alarm blaze in the downtown area. It could be a room and content fire 
that we pull our people together and we start talking from the response to the dress out, to the stretch, to the forcible entry, to the fire attack, all that is coming around and we can look at and learn from and then take that back for the next incident that we have. So that was one of my all-time favorites was the after the fire, you know, sitting around and looking at the building and talking about what we did good, things we could have done better, all-time favorite. And then just that, you know, from a company officer standpoint and teaching uh, with my men, my favorite was the combining a bunch of skill sets under, I'm, I'm a big believer in time. I love having that clock going. I, I think guys respond differently in drill when you got a little bit of pressure on them, and especially when you start going, hey, that's going to take us X amount of time. Can we achieve these benchmarks? And and that started with everybody sitting in the kitchen, tone drop, getting dressed, pulling the rig out, stretching the line, masking up, all those skill sets combined into one drill was a great way. And I think one of the things, especially when you talk about meal prep, and you talk about the building, uh, and you talk about pushing water, Man, it's such a great time to build those relationships with guys being actively engaged with the drill and not staying off to the side. Um, and I think those are things that we that we're that we miss sometimes in training and drills and and building that team up that we're part of that team, both at the company officer level, where you fit in on the fire ground, like Mickey's talking about, uh, talking about open shafts on a building you would never expect to find an open shaft or a bowling alley in a basement. All those things really, really come into play in building that teamwork and probably even more so on the volunteer side where you may not see a guy, but once a month, um, those are just it's critical that you have that relationship with those guys uh, as we're building and doing those different things. So I think that's also um, just a critical thing. I want to, as we always do uh, with this, we always do kind of a closeout, a, a kind of a closing uh, comment. I think I just made mine. So I want to start with uh, Anthony on this kind of a closing remark about the, you know, the volunteer side of things and and how to um, hopefully build the future or maybe kind of a, a, some perspectives on building the future of the volunteer fire service. Uh, I think kind of everything I said today goes back to the same thing, which is invest your time in people and that'll that'll pay dividends. If you invest your time with them, you train with them, you pass on everything people have taught you. Uh, that's the most important thing you have is time. So if you're willing to invest it in somebody, they're probably going to have a good outcome for you. And then that's what's going to help your retention and your recruitment because if they're screaming praises of how much they love the fire department, they're going to attract other people to it. So, And they're not going to leave if they love the fire department. Like you yeah, talked about, exactly. don't say money earlier. It's not always money when someone loves something. So uh, that's why people are willing to work multiple jobs so that they can work on the fire department. So, uh, they got some people leave and come back? Yeah, I don't know who you're talking about. It might be a guy assigned to our shift but, that we all know so well, but he, he, he chased a little bit of money and he, he came back to where he loved to be. So um, yep. there's a lot of power in that when you love being somewhere and you have you have a good crew, you, you love going to work, you're going to scream the praises of where you work and that's going to attract other people there. So uh, whether it's volunteer or career, I think that's your biggest recruitment tool, your biggest retention tool, and your biggest getting people bought into where they just want to, you know, learn more about the job because they've developed a love for it. So you invest your time in people. It's the, it's the best thing you can do. Love that. Uh, Clyde, I don't know if you were, if you had lost us there for a minute, Mickey, just kind of like your closing remarks, kind of wrapping things up for the, uh, for the day. Yeah. So paid career, um, volunteer, whatever it is. Uh, I promise you, if you take care of this job, 
you nourish it, you love it, respect it. This job will always, always take care of you and your family tenfold. And that's, and that's for generations to come. Um, if you've ever been on the receiving end of this job taking care of you, it's, it's, it's quite humbling and it's, it's amazing. And the best part is you never have to say thank you because everyone knows you're thankful because you give back and you do the right thing. Um, so that's it. You know, the fire service is a beautiful thing. Um, just understand where you fit in within it and respect it. Love that. Love that answer. Um, Joe. Yeah, like the last thing I said, I mean, just, you know, investing people and uh, love the job. Don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to voice that. I love being able to talk shop with guys and talk about fires, training, whatever. Uh, don't shy away from it. You know, there's, there's more of us than we think, you know, so we can talk about the job all day long. But I think for the most part, just be, be a good person. Be the tide that raises all ships. Uh, just love the job and, you know, don't ever quit fighting. That's the thing. So. Yeah, and I'm going – I just want – I want to reemphasize a point that Mick made earlier, uh, especially on the volunteer side, and not just the volunteer side, but all sides. We don't need a damn – SOG for every single detail in the firehouse. Firefighters, volunteer and career can take care of take care of the little stuff. We don't need a rule for every damn thing that we do. Uh, on the fire ground, yeah, 100% agree with that. But, you know, the, the job still needs to be fun. And we sometimes, I think Mickey's right, sometimes we overrule or we uh, almost micromanage the job where we don't need to micromanage the job. You know, these are, these are grown, grown people that know what they need to do. Um, and when we make the job fun and, and we embrace it and we embrace each other, we're going to keep the volunteer service alive and the career will always be alive. And we can keep the retention a lot better when guys enjoy coming to work. I agree with everything everybody has said. Uh, one last thing again, Fairhope, Alabama, March 9th and 10th, 2024. Uh, Mickey will be there. I will be there. Uh, Joe Rowell will be there. I don't know who else yet. I don't know if uh, we've got everybody dialed in yet, but it's going to be awesome. Um, Our whole core group will be there. It's just I'm working on the, the surprise of who else is going to be there. All right. I, the one thing I guarantee you will see at this event will be fire. So if it's been a minute you've had haven't had one, we will show you plenty of fire and smoke and drills and, and just uh, as much as we can throw at you in four, you know, in two solid days of training. So um, I think the one thing we're definitely going to do this year is definitely two days of fire uh, events. You agree with that, Ro? Yeah, I, I've, got a, I've got a plan I'm going to be sending you as soon as I lock in. You might <laughs> Make you go with two days of fire? Absolutely. Real quick on the Fairhope thing before we jump off, I uh... – like sure. I said earlier, I'm not a big hands-on training guy uh, unless I'm getting paid overtime, I'll be honest. So um, <laughs> this is the one event I do because because Todd does such an such an amazing event. I mean, everyone puts so much into it, but the level of, of craziness Todd brings to everything he does and passion is it's something else. So if you have a few ideas of what conferences you want to go this year, this, this upcoming year, um, put this on the list and think about it because – I never heard of Fairhope before I landed there. Like I said, I thought it was in the middle of nowhere. It ended up being on the water, but it's uh, what a great place. What a great group of guys. And uh, in, in my opinion, it's probably one of the best volunteer fire departments I've ever seen in my life. So it's a great place to be. 
supports unbelievable joe unbelievable job that you do with that organization and and your chief and todd and all those other guys that are down there to help us year in and year out and i mean they and i'm always blown away about the amount of work those guys are doing before during and even i mean we're gone and they're still doing work to you know kind of clean up after us in some cases because of the mess uh row it always makes when we're there so <laughs> so yeah we'll be looking forward to that this coming year and we appreciate it by listening um i don't know what our who our guest is but i do we are going to switch gears back um i want to get back into some mid-ride stuff next time around so be looking forward to that and uh uh, we'll be talking more mid-rise firefighting, more mid-rise engine company, more mid-rise search and rescue stuff uh, in the next couple shows, and really making a strong push on some of that, uh, some of that training and education that uh, a lot of us are so really lacking. So, and that's all we have for you. We appreciate everybody listening. We'll talk to everybody very soon. Thank you.